This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Hi, this is Marissa from the Doin' Time Show. Thanks for tuning in. We're on summer break on Mondays from 4 or 5pm and we'll be back on Monday the 22nd of January 2024. We've selected some fantastic highlights for you from across 2023. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This episode of Doing Time may contain audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have died and discussion of deaths in custody. First up on the show, we will speak with Jenny Webber from the Bob Brown Foundation. And we're going to be speaking with her about a very important topic. And it's in regards to what's happening at the Tarkine in regards to a forest defender, Dr Colette Harsman, Harmsman, sorry, who will spend the next three months in prison for peacefully defending Tasmania's native forests. Then we will speak with Cheryl Axelby from Change the Record. She is a First Nations activist and we'll be speaking with her about Raise the Age, national campaign to raise the age of criminal responsibility across all states and jurisdictions in Australia. And so we will speak with her about Aboriginal children who are being locked up and possibly we will also speak about deaths in custody depending on how much time we have, although the topic is definitely interrelated to detention. So first up, we'll speak with Jenny. Uh, Just a little bit of background. After being sentenced in the Hobart, Hobart Magistrates Court, Colette was taken directly to Hobart's Risdon Prison, where she will spend her, her where she spent her first couple of nights behind bars. And Collett's been jailed for her ongoing peaceful protests, drawing attention to the ongoing destruction of habitat for threatened species like the swift parrot, masked owl, and Tasmanian devil. And listeners may recall that on the Do and Time show we did speak quite a lot about what's happening with um, anti-protest laws and what the government is not doing to advance peaceful protest in Australia. 
So in a moment, after an announcement, we'll be speaking with Jenny Webber. Did you know that Ripponlea Estate is recognised as a leading biodiversity hotspot within the city of Glenara? It is a haven for birds and other wildlife. Ripponlea Estate is now running bird spotting tours, providing an opportunity for the community to explore the beautiful 14 acres of gardens with a volunteer guide searching out the diverse family of birds that call Ripponlea home. Please visit ripponleaestate.com.au to view tour times and to book your tour. The National Trust of Australia is a 3CR supporter. And in case people have just tuned in, this is the Doing Time Show, and we're speaking now with Jenny Webber, Bob Brown Foundation. Hello, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me today. It's lovely to have you, Jenny. Now, I'm wondering if you could talk about what's happened with Dr Collette, and I believe that she's one of Bob Brown Foundation's most passionate and dedicated activists. That's right. The Bob Brown Foundation's been around for 10 years and Colette has been with us all the way. Uh, Colette is a scientist. Uh, She's formerly been employed by the government to look after Tasmanian devils and uh, she's actually a fantastic wildlife veterinarian. Uh, And she was uh, sentenced last Friday to three-month prison and as you uh, introduced, she went straight into... um, the women's prison that afternoon last Friday. Um, she was sentenced uh, three months uh, for protest and on top of that three months, she's also been given another six-month suspended sentence based on a two-year good behaviour bond. Um, and so Colette is someone who has seen uh, the terrible, terrible uh, damage that's going on out in our forests and in China and she's just someone who has taken action. She really has stood up and, and participated in civil disobedience um, over and over again. But she's a classic intelligent woman who's putting her hand up to the government and saying, hello, there's these problems, um, fix them. And instead of the government fixing them, you know, they, they send in the police to arrest the, the peaceful forest defenders. So this is not unusual anymore, is it? It's no longer surprising. So people are actually being jailed now for peacefully protesting? Yeah, in New South Wales, um, unfortunately, it it is a bit more apparent. Um, It is new for Australia, really. I mean, Tasmania has... um, You know, people went to jail during the um, Franklin case, but that was actually... The Franklin River time was because they wouldn't sign their bail notices. Um, Then there were people... There were two men who um, were sentenced to prison on breaking suspended sentences about 12 years ago in Tasmania over the pulp mill and, and logging of native forest here. Um, Nish and uh, Ali were, were their names. But Colette's actually the first woman in Tasmania to be sentenced as an environmental defender to prison. So it, it's actually quite um, ridiculous in 2023 when we're facing our hottest day on record across the globe and we've got all these climate catastrophes that are happening, especially here in Australia with those terrible bushfires, that we are jailing scientists who have been protesting. So, though, yes, in New South Wales, we have seen appalling um, anti-protest laws introduced and and being um, rolled out and seeing people like Violet Coco, who spent two weeks or more in prison herself in in New South Wales and others. It's it's demoralising for 
for people to go to prison for this. I mean, there was there was nothing violent here. It was what do they get her for? This is exactly the problem. It's classic too in in our um, nation that we live in, where it's all Aboriginal land that was never ceded. Um, that the companies are being given the right to to destroy these public lands of their forests, or you know, mining companies um, being able to do mining, where Colette was um, charged with trespass. So she's not only um, charged with trespass for walking on public land, but you know, unceded Aboriginal land, and then sent to prison. She was also charged with um, offences related to, um, you know, being attached with a steel pipe to a machine, which is destroying those, that, that area. So they are absolutely 100% non-violent acts. You know, Colette is one of our best non-violent trainers. She um, carries out non-violent direct action workshops here um, in our office and out in the field, and she's one of the best. She, she's such a great person at training hundreds of people into non-violent direct action. It's 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 quite horrendous, really. And have have you spoken to her? How is she? Yes, I just spoke to her just half an hour ago. She rang. She's doing fine. You know, she actually um, she she was preparing herself for quite a while that she would be going to prison because she had a three month suspended sentence, and this was why it was activated. She had a three month suspended sentence, and she had um, bail conditions where she wasn't allowed thirty kilometres from her house. So. Since July last year, she hasn't been able to go further than 30 kilometres beyond her house. She had a period of time um, with her bail conditions where police would turn up for home visits unannounced at any time, and often that was at midnight or at 11pm. Um, and so since July last year, she's actually been, you know, in draconian sort of, uh, you know, treatment of non-violent protesters. Um, so she, she called earlier today. She said she's had 75 letters so they're really uplifting for her and people talking about how they're getting into action you know because of her um i visited with her last week and she had visitors today i mean you know your listeners would know better than anyone about how harsh it is that you can only have one half an hour visit a week um you know there's there's tough there's tough sanctions on people who are who are already um you know being punished for their crimes but then have disconnection from society like that is, is rough. But you know what, Colette's doing okay. She, she actually, as I said, prepared herself for this and she's holding up. This is really appalling. It's appalling. This is stuff that's not covered in the mainstream media. And, you know, that could have been me. Like, I was heavily involved in the East Gippsland blockades um, some years ago now. And I locked onto a bulldozer at one stage, I wasn't even arrested. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, is that you have watched, like Colette has, successive governments just ignore scientists' warnings. Yes. Um, you know, ignore the warnings from all over the world that, you know, we need to protect forests. And classically, you know, they ignore the fact that they went through the same primary school teaching. And you ask any primary school te person now about why do we need trees, we need trees to breathe. And we need trees for, you know, clean water. And these are all things that we take for granted, especially um, in Australia, in the actual places that are surrounded by incredible forests where they just think it's okay to keep de destroying them. So one of the most recent shocking experiences for Colette was um, because she's a wildlife expert, um, a lot of the sort of terrible images that people find, um, you know, 
wildlife that look like they're sick in the forest or they've been impacted by the logging. And the most recent one was a uh, Tasmanian devil that had been completely incinerated by the um, helicopter burns that they do after the logging. So they, you know, they drop their napalm-like substance. And she received those photos and, you know, she thought that that was actually the sort of thing that you release to the media and there will be change. If anyone, you know, believes in what can trigger change, it should be that. And it didn't. And, it, you know, like she was just beside herself. But, I mean, I think the thing about Colette is that she's seen so much destruction and written all the letters. She's one of the best Tasmanian letter writers for the newspaper. Um, you know, she really has lobbied and worked really hard to talk to people for the last 15 years. And it is appalling that here she is sitting in a prison when she's an extraordinary scientist that could be helping with the change that needs to happen to Nature. I mean, there are a couple of things I'm thinking about as you're speaking, and, and one of them is that, generally speaking, there's quite a lot of draconian things that the police are getting away with. You know, for example, those those conditions that you were talking about, they're horrendous the ba- to do with the bail. Yeah, with the things that we're finding, New South Wales um, activist trends are having probably the hardest time right now, and and Colette definitely did as well. I mean, the thing is, is that every single time these draconian um, bail conditions are given is a time when there could be change. Um, yes. You know, it is disappointing um, that, I mean, it's still a criminal offence to attempt to protect what the environment we have left. Yeah. Um, I can't even... I mean, it's also what's really important is for us activist community not just not to just accept it you know, not to become blasé about the fact that we don't get listened to by the governments and the governments don't see change. What um, the main thing Colette um, is keen on pushing on with is doing it for the forest. So her website is called Doing It For The Forest. She's got a new tattoo that that says Doing It For The Forest. She keeps saying that to herself as a mantra to keep her strength up in in prison. And um, last night we posted a message from her that she recorded out of prison, which was asking people to, to get active for the forest. And when I was speaking to her today, I said, you know, there were so many people on the comments saying, I will go to this rally, collect for you. I will go and take action on this for you. So she's inspiring people, um, and that's what's really important, is to make sure what's... that she's not left and forgotten in there in prison. Thank you. That's fantastic. What's her prison address in case people wish to write? Does she need more letters? Yes. Yes, she absolutely loves the letters and she's writing back to people, so she'd love people to put their return address on it. Um, She's actually got a great little website as well if people wanted to share it. But her address is Colette Harmson, H-A-R-M-S-E-N, and you have to put her number on, which is OTS number 116318. And she's at P.O. Box 24, Lindisfarne, Tasmania. Now, doingitforthefores.com, is her website and on the website it has a great little post that says write to me at the women's prison that gives you the address and um, yeah, the things that you can and can't send. I mean, we are just flummoxed about how people in Tasmania in the prison can't receive books. You think the simple thing that someone can do whilst in prison is to read a book and I think in Victoria it's different. You might be able to tell me about, yeah, I, people have been surprised that, that they've not just been able to send her a book or... Um, Disgusting. But she actually is really um, finding that 
writing letters to people and receiving letters from people is, is keeping her spirits up. We'll have to see about these books because I think you can get them from the publisher or from Amazon. Right, and so um, we were told here in Tasmania at the prison last week that you can donate books to um, the State Library. You can donate them directly to the Risen Women's Prison Library, and so she does have a library in there that she can access. And um, yeah, we were so that's something that we have been spreading the word to people is to yeah donate books to your local library and make sure you tell them that it, I would like it to go to the local prison because it just means that people can access. Um, you know, something to, to read. Absolutely. Jenny, th- thank you so much for coming onto the program. I'd love to actually speak with you regularly, you know, maybe monthly and while she's in, Dr. Collette is in prison, just to get an yeah. update. Is that okay? That'd be so good. And she would love to speak to you when she's um, out too. So I would love the to. The 14th of October is a big day for her and, and she would love to speak to you afterwards. So, yeah, let's keep in touch. We're really, really thankful for people to be able to hear about Dr. Colette Harmson and her great um, efforts that she is doing right now, which is um, being a political prisoner in Tasmania's women's prison. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Take care. See you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. to the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, screening the very best documentaries from South by Southwest, Sundance, Tribeca, as well as the best local Melbourne and Australian documentaries. Online from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 30th of July. For more information, head to mdff.org.au and cinemanova.com.au. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doin Time Show, 3CR Community Radio, and it's approximately 4.18. We're going to be speaking now with Cheryl Axelby, who has been on our show many times now. She's from Change the Record. And we will be speaking with her about the age, raising the age of criminal responsibility and having a look at quite a few things in regards to why are governments dragging their feet and this is indeed a violation of human rights. Hello Cheryl, welcome to the program. G'day there. Yeah, you've been here a couple of times now, haven't you, about the same issue? Same issue and still hanging in there um, and still advocating strongly. Absolutely. Can you just tell listeners what land you're from? Yeah, I'm from my country's at Narunga Mob from South Australia on the York Peninsula. Um, and yeah, um, and I'm talking to you all from Ghana country in Adelaide. Thank you so much. So, we are in a national campaign to raise the age of criminal responsibility across all states and jurisdictions in Australia. Mm-hmm. And. What's happening between states and the federal government now when no one wants to take responsibility for protecting Australia's children? Yes, well, what we're seeing at the moment, and I suppose it's, you know, let's put it in context, that Australia um, has one of the lowest ages of criminal responsibility in the world, um, and the United Nations has repeatedly you know, criticised us for that. Um, and 
Um, what we're seeing across the country is the Northern Territory government legislation will have committed, you know, raising the age to 12, not 14. Um, and we expect to see that come into fruition, I think it's um, on the 1st of August. The Tasmania government has raised the age of detention to 14, but not criminal responsibility, which means that children aged 10 can still be arrested, held in handcuffs and locked up in police cells. Victoria government has backtracked on its commitment to raise the age to 14, now only committing to 12, and we've seen that similarly also with the ACT, who you know first demonstrated leadership and we're quite keen to raise the age to 14, um, and who have now decided that they'll raise it to 12 with a commitment to to raise it to 14, I think, in about 2025, um, but they're going to have some carve-outs for offences, um, for four offences from memory, and, you know, in the context... But, you know, in the past 10 years, no child in the ACT has even committed these type of offences that they're wanting to put caveats on. So that's where we're at, and, um, you know, we've... What we've seen is other states and territories, um, you know, WA, previous, under the previous Premier, had said that they were not going to raise the age. Um, there's been some yarn with the new Premier um, that, you know, the government will consider that. Um, and we're still yet to hear from the other states and territories who have been silent. So how much has changed? Not much? Not much, really. You know, there has been, you know, I think we're coming up to probably three and a half years now. Um, since all the Attorney Generals from every state and territory were meeting to talk about this issue. Um, you know, I think it's really sad that this is a political issue more than a medical issue. Um, you know, and we keep saying, you know, for a very long time that there is medical evidence um, and we've had medical um, experts talk up about this over the years, um, that a child under the age of 14 does not have the mental capacity to regulate their emotions and weigh up, you know, the consequences of their behaviour. You know, and behaviour of children is just that, it's behaviour. And instead, you know, our governments are fixed on criminalising kids instead of, you know, taking away from their families, you know, communities, um, instead of actually looking at how there could be a more humane um, and therapeutic response to our younger, you know, children. So... This does affect Aboriginal children because there is indeed over-incarceration of Aboriginal children, isn't there? That's right. You know, our kids, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, um, you know, hence, you know, why see change record has actually, you know, taken up um, the cause um, is because many of our, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children um, make up probably around about 60%, 60 to 70% at any time. Um, of kids in this age group that are, um, you know, locked up. So, you know, that's quite appalling statistics when we look at this. And also, you know, the evidence also is, you know, the um, you know comparable rates with non-Aboriginal children, um, you know, where our kids are more than likely to be arrested and locked up in comparison to the non-Aboriginal, um, you know, uh, young followers of this country. So it still demonstrates that there are some real, um, you know, systemic issues that need to be addressed as well as the issue about, you know, treating children with a therapeutic response because we know that the evidence also demonstrates really clearly for our mob um, of the intergenerational incarceration and it starts with our babies going into the prison system. And yet there's been some research that has been put forward about closing the gap and looking at digital technology, how is that going to help 
Aboriginal children that are locked up and, you know, looking at... It's, it's, I don't know, it beggars belief. Well, it does beggar belief because, like, if we look at, um, you know, I'll just give you some sort of, like, overview about our kids on lock-up, um, you know, and how governments are failing to give the human face to the children behind bars because they don't want to address the real issues these kids are facing mm. and how, you know, the system is failing. So, nine in, you know, nine in ten have a neurodevelopmental impairment. Three in five are our, our Aboriginal tribes for under children. Two and three have been a victim or witness to family violence. Two and three have a mental illness. And two and three come from very disadvantaged homes and neighbourhoods. So, you know, this is where the criminalisation um, of children um, is, to me, really appalling, um, that we continue to go down that same colonial sort of penalised uh, approach for when young children um, in particular need guidance, love, support... Um, and, you know, opportunities to be able to thrive, um, which is through the therapeutic responses. It's true. And, and also, what about thinking about the par- who the parents are? That When we look at the facts, the parents are more likely to be, to be single, raising yeah. other children and living on welfare payments. Yeah. Are, they, are, are these parents being criminalised at all? Well, because the children don't comply with intensive therapy orders? Yeah, well, there is... Um, we're, we're deeply concerned by introduction of the um, possibility of um, criminal charges for families whose children don't comply with those intensive therapy orders. So, you know, here again we have another, com, you know, compliance-based system that penalises rather than actually having a therapeutic, you know, supportive response that actually works with families and also the parents. And, you know, we also need to think about the impact of, you know, many of um, parents um, of these children have probably been part of the system themselves, which has failed them as well. And, you know, we keep seeing this time and time again through the intergenerational incarceration that we see with our families, and particularly, you know, our young fellows at the moment. So to me, it just beggars beyond belief that we keep going back to this criminalised system when we know that our mob have been very much traumatised since colonisation in and through you know, repeated acts of government that have still not addressed those causal factors or the current issues within you know, the, the um, system itself. And, of course, you know, racialised policing, um, you know, the likelihood of our mob being you know, more than likely being arrested than reported. You know, all these things still are happening today, 30 years after the Royal Commission in Aboriginal Death and Custody, which acknowledged and identified all these issues all than many years ago. And here we are, still talking about them 30 years later. Because we've had at least 540 Aboriginal people who have died in custody since the 1991 Royal Commission, yeah. isn't it, into Aboriginal deaths in custody? Yeah, yeah. And Aboriginal deaths in custody have doubled in the past year alone, so from four to eight. And our mob, you know, are still dying in police cells. And prisons for two reasons, which I talked about was the discriminatory policies, which yeah. sees us arrested, um, you know, in comparison. And the other one is the, you know, discriminatory treatment that we're subjected to by police and correctional authorities. And a lot of our mob keep coming back into the system for what we say, not creating new offences, but for breaching some of those, um, you know, whether, you know, some of the, and, and they're minor breaches a lot of the times, not serious breaches, um, you know, of, you know, when they're actually released from custody. Um, or they might be released, you know, in the context of bail. So 
you know, this system just keeps bringing our mob back into the system. And this is why we keep saying about why raising the age is important, because, you know, if we want to seriously, um, and if any government is seriously con you know, committed to closing the gap, then, you know, this is a really good opportunity to break that intergenerational incarceration cycle that our mob have experienced by starting with our youngest generation and looking at what could be done differently, investing back in our communities, having our own communities, delivering programs for our kids, because we know that when we deliver our own programs, they are more targeted and they meet the needs of our mob. Um, and, you know, this is all in line with closing the gap, and yet we're still yet to see any commitment. And I know, Cheryl, I have invited you quite a few times on the show, and I know it really sounds repetitive, but it's so important yeah. to keep this topic alive, don't you think? Absolutely. And, you know, we at Change the Record um, are constantly doing that. And, you know, we would welcome any of the listeners, you know, to please get onto our webpage, um, Change the Record, and, you know, show your support um, because we can't um, let governments off the hook on this very important issue. Um, you know, and this, this, this is not just for our kids, but for all young fellows between the ages of 10 to 14 years of age. And if we can actually, you know, think about how we as parents, you know, when our own children need love and guidance and direction, we don't actually throw our kids in the criminalised system. We actually are the parents and we teach them right from wrong. And that's what we should be doing as society for these young babies. Absolutely. There is one more thing that I really wanted to talk about. Cheryl, do you have a mm. bit more time? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, we were talking just before about death in custody and I wanted to really draw listeners' attention to Tanya Day. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about her? Well, I don't really like talking on behalf of Tanya. But, oh, know, no, that's OK. Yeah, I'll, I'll I mean, summarise it. Yeah, um, yeah. So she was a Yorta Yorta grandmother who was arrested and died in police custody. Um, let's speak generally, generally yeah. about deaths in custody. Yeah, that's true. Um, and maybe, so she was on deaths in custody for public drunkenness after being yeah. found asleep on a train. But yeah. let's talk generally about Aboriginal women. Yeah. Um, instead of that, and then that way you're, you 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 won't be compromised. Yeah, I don't want so, to upset family, and, yeah. and I think you know the family have been really deadly in what they've been able to absolutely. achieve, absolutely, in changing you know the laws in Victoria, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's a testament to people power um, and how family can really make a difference. And I think this is what we've got to do more and more right across yep. Australia is that we've got to say that death and custody are not acceptable. Locking up our children is not acceptable. Taking away our children from families, which we still see at high numbers. Uh, being removed from families is not acceptable. What we need Indeed. is investment in our communities. And if and you know when we look at some of the um, Aboriginal deaths in custody, particularly for women, you know when we see them getting arrested for very minor offences and chucked into a police cell, you know it is it tells us there is something really wrong um, in this country that we need to address um, within the criminal justice system. And it can't be just three words anymore. Because, you know, how many more deaths is it going to take? You know, if it was 540, and I'm yeah. putting this out there respectfully, non-Aboriginal fellows that died in custody, um, you know, and, you know, we've seen some media of, of late of particularly that, you know, the lovely elderly woman, you know, who passed away, you know, through being tasered, you know what I mean? We've seen a yeah. lot more noise about that than we actually have seen in regards to the 540 Aboriginal deaths in custody. 
And, you know, we've got to start looking at these issues and treating them with the respect and the family's respect that they deserve to get some justice for their loved ones. Cheryl, that's exactly what I what I wanted to hear because that's what I, I wanted to really draw attention to and I'm so, yeah. so glad um, that you were able to, to say that on air. That's, do you see what I mean? That's what I was looking for. Yeah, and I, you know, and I have all the respect in the world, you know, for the elderly woman, because, I mean, yeah. they've experienced the same injustices that many of our families um, have for, you know, for many, many years and, and decades. And it shouldn't be happening in Australia today. And when we look at the way that police react in such situations um, and where people are dying as a result of being apprehended, then there's got to be accountability um, and we need to have independence where police are no longer protected within their own systems. And now we're finally seeing you know, another police officer being charged, as we did see you know, with the case in the Northern Territory. Um, but you know, are we going to see any outcome um, or police being held accountable um, for the behaviours that they do? And to date, we haven't seen that yet with many of our black families at all. Archie, thank you so much. I mean, it's just, I know it's hard, but, and, and I hope I'm not asking, you know, too many, too many confronting questions, but it's, it's got to be talked about, doesn't it? It does need to be talked about, you know, and we try and tackle this, you know. When I think about the, you know, I grew up in the 70s, 80s, when I saw a lot of our mob, you know, talking about this issue and being angry and, and you know, to walk in the streets on, you know, and, you know, and we're still trying to look at how best we can try and get our voices still heard on these very important issues. And, you know, as communities, we cannot let the fellas off the hook and we've got to keep, you know, flying the flag and keep the, the fire in the belly until we get, you know, ultimate justice for our mob. And, you know, to all the families yeah. out there that have lost loved ones, you know, again, you know, thinking of you all, um, you know, every time that we talk about these issues, I'm sure that it does, you know, bring up, some point, you know, trigger points for their mom, um, but just know that there are fellas out there continue to, you know, to challenge the system, and we need more of our mob to do that. We do. So finally, despite a report from ACT Parliament Standing Committee yeah. on justice and community safety, yeah. um, it still failed to recommend necessary changes to yeah. the legislation to raise the age. Yep, it was very disappointing, and CTR did actually give a submission on the, at that inquiry in Canberra. Um, and yeah, it's just so disappointing that when, you know, at the beginning, um, you know, C, uh, ACT in particular were really keen to commit to raising the age to 14. Um, you know, and having some of these um, caveats where, you know, children can be forced to be given treatment rather than, again, about having that therapeutic response. Because end of the day, the lack of investment in early intervention prevention programs is the issue, um, and this is why I think it's taken so long for governments to actually look at raising the age, is because they know that it takes a greater investment at the early end, early intervention prevention, and you know that means that they have to give money from somewhere else to do that. And I'm not sure whether they're brave enough to do that, but also whether they're brave to do that politically at the moment. Um, you know, because, you know, we're talking about changing the way that we deal with young fellas in the system um, and we've got no political bravery, I call it, um, to actually make that big step. Exactly. I mean, the Human Rights Law Centre was, 
you know, gave, that, they were one of the organisations and, and lots of Aboriginal organisations too, yeah. gave so much evidence on the significant right. harm and trauma that yeah. children in prisons are being subjected to and still yeah. there's been no change. Well, we're still knowing that some of our kids who are locked up are being locked in their cells for up to 23 hours a day and we know that that's in breach um, of the United Nations and the Convention of the Rights of the Children. Um, but again, we're not seeing any accountability, um, you know, in regards to that front. Now, for us, if we were home locking our kids up 23 hours a day in their room, we would be up uh, before the Child Protection Agencies and police as parents were treating our children like that. And yet, you know, government entities seem to be able to get away with it. And that's not good enough. It's certainly not good enough at all. Cheryl, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It's always great to have you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and always happy to have you on. Good on you. Thanks a lot. Okay, see you then. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. Hi, this is Marissa from the Doin' Time Show, and you're listening to a summer repeat of Doin' Time. Every form of discrimination that exists in our community is magnified and utilised by prisons to cause greater division and disarm solidarity. We've got to really put a lens of perspective on this and know that there are children being incarcerated as young as 10 years old. Police and prisons, they're doing exactly what this colony wants them to. Who do we defend? And who else? Prisons, pull them down. Yay. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Is this what we deserve? Is this what we deserve? What we deserve All I'm asking Lord Is this what we deserve We've been here Since time began Our ancestors' footprints Are buried in the sand We are but caretakers this ancient land But you still don't understand Is this what we deserve? Is this what we deserve? Is this what we deserve? Can you tell me now, is this what we deserve? Your laws are so unjustified, our basic human rights have been Is 
doing time show and it's approximately 4.42 and this is Marissa taking you through until 5 o'clock. We're nearing the end of our show but not quite and I just wanted to read out a media release that I'm hoping to interview Ian Rintel in the next couple of weeks from the Refugee Action Coalition and they've been quite busy holding some rallies and the, the media release is entitled Refugee Action Coalition media release, 10 years too bloody long, rallies call for an end to offshore detention. And by the way, that was a song um, by Kutcher Edwards, and it's a very beautiful song. So I'll start forward with this release. 10 years too bloody long, refugee rallies were held in Brisbane, Canberra and Sydney on Sunday the 23rd of July to demand permanent visas for all offshore refugees and the victims of fast-track processing and an end to offshore detention. Um, Labor has a particular responsibility to end offshore detention and bring those still held offshore to Australia, said Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition. It was a Labor government in 2013 that implemented the PNG, PNG deal 
and it is the current Albanese Labor government that is keeping 75 refugees in PNG. Labor is on notice. We will keep fighting to get all the refugees from PNG evacuated from PNG and brought to Australia. Shannon Potter, a delegate to Labor's August National Conference and a speaker at the Sydney Rally, said, Australia's treatment of refugees is a national shame shared by both major parties. I am one of thousands of rank-and-file Labor members who will continue to demand that the Labor government adopt a humane refugee policy. As a delegate to the ALP National Conference, I will fight to end the policy of offshore detention for good. The refugees in PNG must be brought here, and we must ensure this tragedy is never repeated by permanently closing the detention centre on Nauru. Labor's claim that they are not responsible for the refugees in PNG has been blown out of the water after the revelation that they are still using a secret deal negotiated by Scott Morrison to fund the refugees they dumped there 10 years ago. Around 1,100 refugees brought from PNG and Nauru are in the Australian community on bridging visas with no secure future. They need permanent visas. 12,000 asylum seekers denied refugee status under Morrison's fast-track process also need permanent visas. Albanese claims that Labor can be tough on border protection without being weak on humanity. But after a year in office, Labor is showing it really is weak on humanity. Sydney Rally, Labor's refugee shame, 10 years too bloody long, and that happened at 1pm Sunday the 23rd of July, Town Hall. Speakers included Ramsey, former Manus refugee, Cajun Palan, Tamil refugee on bridging visa, Shannon Potter, ALP National Conference Delegate, Dave Townsend, Independent Education Union, New South Wales ACT, Tilly, Refugee Action Coalition. So I wanted to actually read out that media release just to show and shine a spotlight on the fact that refugees and asylum seekers are still being treated inhumanely and that a lot more work needs to be done to bring them home to Australia. I think we'll just have two more announcements and then I'll come back and thank our guests and say goodbye. Tickets are now on sale for the 2024 Marxism Conference happening over the Easter weekend. The Marxism Conference is one of the biggest gatherings of revolutionaries, radicals and activists from around Australia and across the world. Three days of discussions, interviews and debates on key questions and themes for socialists, covering radical working class history, Marxist fundamentals, left debates and global struggles happening today. With our world entering a new era of accelerated climate crisis, economic chaos and rising imperialist tensions, it's now more important than ever for socialists and anti-capitalists to get together to discuss and debate ideas for a world in crisis. Lock in your spot to Australia's biggest socialist conference and grab your tickets now at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. 
The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them. This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR. And you're back with the Joy and Time show, and it's approximately 3.48. And I've just got some other, another piece of really good news um, before we actually finish off. There's much good news on the show, but I think it was last week that the federal court quashed the declaration of a proposed nuclear waste dump site near Kimber in SA. And this is a huge win for the Banjala traditional owners and who were unanimous in their opposition to the proposed nuclear dump, as well as for the farmers and communities around Kimber. It was really, it's really wonderful um, that, that that was actually ha- able to happen. And I mentioned this little tidbit because really... At the end of the day, we're going to be seeing more and more people that are peacefully protesting going to prison. We're going to be seeing more and more arrests. We will see more and more civil liberties being eroded. And I think that we need to stay tuned and stay radical, not only to 3CR, but also to rising up and making sure that our rights are not being violated. So I wanted to say thank you to both of our guests today. And I only had two guests today because I really wanted to draw attention to all the issues. And we, in particular, had an extended interview with Arnie Cheryl Axelby from Change the Record. And she spoke about deaths in custody and also the national campaign to raise the age, or not raise the age actually, of criminal responsibility for children. Um, And all children are affected in prison by this, but in particular uh, Aboriginal children, because they are over-incarcerated far more um, than non-Aboriginal children. And I also wanted to thank um, Jenny, Jenny Webber from the Bob Brown Foundation, who has existed for many years now. And please do write to Dr Collette, who is in prison, and jump on the website, Google the Bob Brown Foundation, and and I'm hoping that things can happen there for, for her and for all people in prison. So I'm going to be finishing up the show a little bit early today. Um... And I'll certainly be making up for that in the coming weeks. There's a lot of coverage coming up. So stay tuned every Monday for the Do and Time show. And and it's goodbye from Marissa. And we'll be going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. 
and I'm sure you'll be hearing other music after that before climate action comes on. Thanks a lot. Take care of each other. Bye. Hi, this is Marissa, and you've been listening to a summer special of the Doing Time show. We'll be back with new shows on Monday, the 22nd of January. I hope you enjoyed today's program. See you later. Stay tuned to 3CR Community Radio.